0: Good morning and welcome to the 11 o'clock worship service at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Would you please stand and join me for the call to worship? Reading responsibly. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Not so wicked, they are trap, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to gather together to worship you this morning. Thank you for your written revelation that you've given us, the scriptures. And thank you for your son, the living word, who died so that we might be forgiven and that we might one day spend eternity with you in your presence. Father, we're mindful this morning of many brothers and sisters around the world that are worshiping you or have worshiped you already today. Many at risk of their very lives. Many are imprisoned because of their faith. Father, would you be uh, especially and clearly present with them In their distress, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: great word for us as we uh, gather on this Sunday to worship. Think about our great, immortal, invisible God who has revealed himself to us. We're glad that you're here this morning. I want to invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. glad to see you as we gather for worship today. And there are a few things I want to mention to you, uh, both on in the insert and in your bulletin. Uh, tonight at 5 o'clock, we are meeting in the community room for our annual uh, ice cream social. There's really no agenda to this night except to have a chance to interact with each other. Uh, if you are uh, somewhat new to the community or to the church, the area, uh, we would love to have you come tonight and have a chance to meet some folks. And of course... We're serving Addie 's ice cream, so if nothing else will get you there, that should. Uh, so we hope to see you this evening at five it 's come and go, so you can come at five or come a little later, uh, leave it whenever you want to. Uh, we 'll be in the community room directly behind us here. Uh, also, you see the insert in your bulletin about the next Sunday and we 're hosting a summer potluck after the eleven o 'clock service and a few are things there for you to bring and one of the things that we want to do as a part of this is to just say a word of thanks and honor our uh, children, Sunday school teachers, junior church, children's church workers, and we appreciate all that they do during the year, and this is one opportunity to say thank you to them, as well as just some time together. So we hope you'll be a part of that. And uh, also I want to say thanks to Costa Danner and everyone who helped out uh, the Global Partners gathering this week. It was a great success. They had a wonderful time. I've heard great reports from their time together, and one of the One of the ways that that helped them was to be able to know that their children were well cared for. So to any of you who helped with that, thank you. We appreciate it very much. And I know that uh, all of the Global Partners people appreciate it as well. It's always uh, a joy to welcome new children into uh, our family of faith and a joy to uh, dedicate them to God. And this morning we have the privilege of doing that again. Bill John and Yulia, God has blessed you with this little one. And today you come to dedicate God's gift back to Him. You are here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ. And in this public act of dedication, you are declaring your desire that she would be raised in the grace and the love of God within the nurturing spirit of the church. In this act, you're welcoming the prayers and the support of this church and declaring your desire. That she would early learn the things of God and that her life would be defined in a lifelong commitment to follow God to the very end of her life, that she might receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over her education, that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity. And to direct her feet to the sanctuary, to restrain her from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible, to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. (laughs) She's not letting that go. (laughs) What name have you given your child? Juliana and e. Katerina Newberg. On behalf of your parents and your family and this church, I dedicate you to God, Juliana Caterina Katerina Newberg. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I always like to, to mention that uh, this is something that is not just about these parents. You know, I... I I always think of these little ones as being surrounded by a, a triangle of grace and love. And God, the foundation of that triangle, without him, none of this would be possible. And we've just read one instance of how God feels about little children and his love for them. And he is already at work in her life. And uh, Bill, John, and Yulia have just uh, declared their desire to, to do everything in their power. ...to help their daughter know Christ and to to live a life of discipleship to Christ. And we also have a responsibility. Uh, We are, as the church, we represent Christ to her and to the little ones of our church. And that may be in a Sunday school class or in children's church some Sunday. But often it's just in those serendipitous moments when we have the opportunity to be joyful... And uh, to be loving and to be kind and caring. And so I'm going to ask you all to stand and to affirm your support of Juliana and his family. As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Juliana grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come again today and give you thanks for the gift of children. We feel overwhelmed at this gift of new life that you have given to Bill, John, and Yulia, to their family, and to us as a church. We pray, Father, that as we are dedicating her to you, that she will always know your loving kindness to her. And that her heart will always be turned to you. As she grows and matures and encounters sometimes the harsh realities of life, may she sense that your love is unchanging and true. That you are good and merciful. kind, and trustworthy. Pour out your blessing upon her. Father, we pray for Bill, John, and Yulia as parents. And it's a great responsibility, sometimes overwhelming, to be a parent. Give them the grace that they need. We pray that you would bond them together and that they would know uh, the joy of parenting. And even in the difficult times, in the times where they struggle to know what to do, and we pray that you would give them all of the grace that they need. And Father, we pray that you would help us as a church. Give us the ability to be witnesses of you to this little girl. Father, thank you again for her life. We give her to you and we do so with joy because we know who you are. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated.
0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on God. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please stand for the Gloria Patri and the receiving of our morning offering? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that all that we have has come from you. Thank you for the opportunity of returning a portion of that to you to be used in your service around the world. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Jenny. It does all begin with creation and God's goodness, creating his world, including us. It is because of who God is that we offer our prayers to him. This morning, we want to uh, spend some time praying together. We'll begin with the prayer of confession printed in the bulletin and then time of uh, pastoral prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I do want to mention this morning that we have been praying for Crystal Blake for a number of years. Some of you may not know who Crystal is. She is a Global Partners missionary along with her husband and family in the Czech Republic. And she was here for uh, the Global Partners event this past week. She has been battling cancer for a number of years. And uh, early in the week was uh, taken ill. And uh, has been in the hospital in Ole most of the week. Coming back. You're staying at the inn today, and the diagnosis is not real good. Uh, all of her family has gathered here and are uh, sort of saying goodbye to her. So we want to remember Crystal and her family in our prayers and uh, continue to pray for them over the course of these next few days. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Our Heavenly Father, we are people who have been blessed beyond our ability to give thanks. Even with the struggles and difficulties of life, we have been and continue to be recipients of health, family, friends, and the necessities of life. Forgive us that far too often our first response is to complain about what we do not have rather than to express gratitude for what we do have. Forgive us for being so focused on getting more that we forget so many others who have little to begin with. Forgive us for taking your gifts for granted and help us to see all of the ways in which you fill our lives with good. As we confess our sin, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to hear your promise to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. If you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Father, we are so grateful for your grace and your blessings. We thank you that you are the Creator who who makes with such beauty and extravagance. And we look around us and we see the handiwork of your hands. We we'll look at each other and we see the handiwork of your hands, and we are grateful. Father, this morning, knowing that you are good and you call us to come to you with every burden and concern of our lives, we do just that. This morning, some of us feel the weight of sorrow and loss, and we pray that you will give to us comfort in the midst of our grief and pain. Some of us are burdened by illness, suffering. These bodies which are amazing miracles of your creation are in need of your healing power. We pray particularly today for Blanche Weaver, Luke Heisinger, Wade Marsh, Sheldon Emerson, Doug Bogdan, Barb Rangel, Bob Jobert, Laurel Bucher, Warren Woolsey, Bill Getty, Phil Muker Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bevret, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and Crystal Blake. Father, this morning, some of us are in need of your grace in our relationships. Forgive us for the many times when our self-centeredness has led to harm. Help us to be more and more committed to serving each other, and forgiving each other, blessing each other, loving each other. For some, this is a summer of transition. Some moving on to other places. Others moving here from other places. For some, it is a transition in our families and in relationships. We pray that you will give to us peace when we feel anxiety and uncertainty and apprehension and loss and grief about these transitions. Father, we pray for your work beyond us. We thank you for the Belmont United Methodist Church and Pastor Richard Hurd. Pour out your grace upon this congregation of believers in all that they are and in all that they do. We pray for continued help for the flooding in Sri Lanka and the refugees that come from Syria and other places of the world. We pray, Father, for uh, those who serve you in the world, and we thank you for the uh, Global Partners Summit this week and for all the good things that happened, for the relationships that were made and for the vision that was cast. And Lord, now as, as these missionaries and many others are in Buffalo today and this week at our general conference, we pray, Father, that these folks from all over the world have a sense of unity through your spirit. We pray that the decisions that are made will bring honor and glory to you. Will help us as a church to more, uh, more effectively, in the spirit of Christ, serve you in this world. And Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters who face persecution every day, particularly on Sundays. We are reminded that the Apostle Paul was once an enemy of the church. And it causes us to pray not only for those who are persecuted, but for those who persecute. And we pray that through the witness of your church, through the witness of your people, that those who persecute them might see you in a new way and open their hearts to Christ. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.
0: Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel this morning reading from mark chapter 2 verses 13 to 17 once again jesus went out beside the lake a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them as he walked along he saw levi son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth follow me jesus told him and levi got up and followed him but sin it. This is the Word of the Lord.
1: Please be seated. I want to ask you a rhetorical question. I want to make sure that's clear as I start this. Who comes to mind when you hear the word fool? I didn't want anybody shouting out names, or some of us might be embarrassed. Who comes to mind when you hear the word fool? Maybe they come to your mind because of the kind of clothes they wear or kind of music they listen to. Maybe because of the food that they eat or maybe don't eat. Maybe it's because of their political views. Maybe it's because of a theological perspective they have. I find that... When we start thinking of people in those terms, it seems like most of the time, those people who come to mind are people who think differently than we do. They're people who have different views than we have, who see things differently than we see them. And so we tend to think, why in the world would they do that? Why in the world would they think like that? Why in the world would they get behind that candidate or have that theological position? And somewhere in our minds, maybe we don't say it out loud, but we're thinking, that's pretty foolish. It usually comes from a self-centered perspective. And maybe that's why Jesus warns us in the Sermon on the Mount not to call people fools. Because all it does is reveal the bad stuff in our hearts. Which is what surprises me that as we begin Psalm 53, right off the bat, David talks about fools. This is an interesting psalm. We have 150 psalms, and surely that does not encompass all of the psalms that were written and perhaps all of the music that Israel sang, but we have 150, a limited book of music that the Israelites used in worship. And what's fascinating to me is that You would think, in that limited amount of of limited number of songs, that they would all be diverse. But Psalm fifty three is actually almost verbatim Psalm one Psalm fourteen. They're almost exactly the same, with just a few variants throughout the Psalms. And that tells me how important this is. In the Hebrew language, they have no way, as we do with our computers, to bold something or to italicize something, to set it apart is important. So one of the ways in which they declare to readers, this is important, is repetition. And that's why when you read a lot of the Old Testament, you may wonder to yourself, why are they saying that again? Because they want to make sure we understand how important it is, that we get the point. And this is one of those psalms. Something about this psalm stands out. That's important enough that it's repeated twice in the limited number of psalms that we have. And as David unfolds this psalm, he begins by saying, Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They're corrupt, their actions are evil, not one of them does good. So what does it mean to be a fool? David says it's people who live as if they don't believe God exists. They live in such a way that that they don't believe that God cares about how they live. When you look at the book of Proverbs, there are fools and wise people and people that in some translations are called the simple. And the simple are really, for all intents and purposes, people who are ignorant of the truth. They don't really know exactly what the truth is. And it's interesting because in the book of Proverbs, God is pretty patient with the simple. But fools are people who know the truth and reject it. People who know the right ways to think and the right things to do and simply say, I don't want it. And God is not nearly as patient with them as he is with the simple. God is not nearly as understanding because these are people who know the truth and decide, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And you get a sense as I read Psalm 53 that David is saying the people who are fools are people who should know better. I mean, he says in verse 4, these are people, will they ever learn? Implying they know, they just don't want to do it. I don't know this for certain, no one does, but there's a lot of speculation that this psalm is connected to an incident in David's life. Psalm 52 is... is, is says in the heading, this is a part, something from David's life. Psalm 54 says this is something from David's life. So you might maybe assume that Psalm 53 is as well, even though it doesn't specifically say that. And if it does, it probably references an incident from 1 Samuel 25. This is a story of David and his 600 men who are on the run from Saul. And they are in, they're hungry, they're in need of provisions. And they come upon uh, some men who are shearing sheep. A lot of sheep. And they discover, they know these guys because they have been around them before. And in fact, David's men have protected them and cared for them earlier in earlier times. And so they go to them and say, look, we really need some help here. We need some food. We need some provisions. We need some stuff to keep us going. Could you go ask your master if we can have some things? And so they say, Sure. So, this, so actually, David sends this group of guys to them, to uh, the man who owns all of this. And he says, a man named Nabal. And they say, look, here we'd like to know if we could get some provisions from you. You're fixing all this food for all these people who are shearing sheep. And he had thousands of sheep and thousands of, of uh, animals. And he said, look, give us a little bit of that. We, we protected your men when they were in trouble. We made sure nothing happened to them. And Nabal says, get out of here. Who's David. Why would I help David? I don't care about David. David means nothing to me. Forget David. I'm not giving him anything. And so the guys go back to David and they say, here's what he said. And David says, men, strap on your swords. We're going to go get some vengeance. Nobody's going to treat me like that. Here's the interesting thing about that story. When David, after David is ready to fight... Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears about what he's done and she gets together a lot of stuff and sends it to David and she follows it and gets in front of David and bows down and says, I'm so sorry, this is all my fault. Please don't do this that you're thinking of doing Um, because my husband is certainly well-named because the word Nabal means fool. It's the same word that's used here in Psalm 53. Now, I've been thinking about that If his parents named him that, man, that is brutal, right? I mean, really? Wow, yeah. I mean, no wonder he's surly all of his life. I wonder, though, if maybe it's a nickname. Maybe it's a nickname for for someone who lives so foolishly that everyone just calls him that. I don't know. But something in David is thinking, I think he's thinking about that event When he writes this psalm. And as people are listening to this David's words, they're singing these words in in their worship. You can almost see the people going, yeah, I certainly know a lot of those kind of fools. I know these people. They're terrible. They don't think anything about God. They don't do the things that we do. And you can almost feel the self-righteousness beginning to rise up in them until they sing verses 2 and 3. And in verses 2 and 3, David says, God looks down from heaven, not just on the people who are fools, but the entire human race. And he looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God, but no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt, no one does good, not even a single one. Now I suspect there's a little hyperbole in that, that. Surely there's somebody who does some good. But I think David is making the point, before you get too high and mighty about yourself, Look in your own heart. Look at your own life. Are there ever times when the things that you do would send a message to people that you don't really believe God exists? Is there anything that you do that might send a message to people that says you believe God doesn't really care how you act? When he talks about the fact that fools say in their hearts there is no God. These aren't people going around saying, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in God. But how they live, the way, and primarily in the psalm, the way they treat people. Taking advantage of the vulnerable. The words used in, in the verse 4 are they devour them. Do we ever do that too? Do we ever run ahead of God and act as if... The only way that this is going to be solved is if we do it, because I don't think God's going to. In the way that we treat people, do we ever give people the impression that we really don't think God cares how we treat people, what we do? I think this is also tied into, this may even be more a part of what David writes about from 1 Samuel 25. Because after Abigail says to David, don't do this. David says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder. And from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. All of a sudden, David realizes, I'm doing what is only something God should do. I'm acting in a way that says, I don't really believe God can handle this circumstance, so I better do it. And David, I think, is taken back at how susceptible he is to thinking and acting like a fool. And let's be honest, we are all susceptible to thinking like fools. The temptation is always in front of us to treat people in a way that would cause others to say, they must not really think God is who he says he is. You know, we, we sometimes feel so positive about how righteous we are and the righteousness of our cause and the righteousness of what we believe that there is something in the back of our minds that's saying to us, it doesn't matter if you have to trample over people to get to that, the end justifies the means. The cause is right, it's good, it's important. So if we have to bend a few things, if we have to tell a few lies, if if we have to trample over a few people to get to it, that's okay because the end is right. I mean, isn't that much of the political spectrum? You know, people enter a political race because they want to do good. They they want to they want to to see the world change. They want to do things for better. They want to make people's lives better. They want to help people. And then advisors say to them, "Now you realize if you're going to accomplish that, you have to get elected. In order to get elected, you're going to have to let go of this naivete of how things are run. You're going to have to." You're going to have to promise things to people that you know you'll never do. You're going to have, to, you're going to, have to, to besmirch the reputation of other people, even though what you're saying might not be exactly the truth. But it's okay because it's the only way you can get elected in order to do these good things. And I can't even imagine how tempting it is to be in the political realm and, and to have that facing you. But even in the church, and as followers of Jesus, we are continually confronted with that temptation. That our cause is right, our cause is just, what we're doing is good. So if we have to leave a few people in our wake, and the carnage of people in our wake, well, that's what happens sometimes. And David is saying to us, that's not how the kingdom of Yahweh works. the process, the journey, the means is every bit as important as the end. It's one of the things that sets us apart as followers of God from people who follow other gods. And so David says, if you want to be that kind of person, if you want to be that kind of church, if you want to be God's people like that, then it means you need to be wise instead of foolish. And the first step in being wise, he says, really the step in being wise is seeking God. God looks over the earth and he says, is there anybody here who seeks me? Anybody who's wise? He says then in verse four, that people who are wise, people who seek him, are people who pray to him. And inherit in prayer is acknowledging a need for God. I think one of the most important things we can do, one of the most important mindsets and attitudes that leads to wisdom is acknowledging that we need God. It is always the first step, the first place. You think about any 12 step program, it always starts with acknowledging our need. And so you come to the meeting, you stand up and say, I'm Wes, I'm a fool. No comments from you. I see you smiling. But you don't just do that once. Every meeting you attend, every time you stand up to say something, hi, I'm Wes, I'm a fool. I am needy. I am helpless. It is a foundation, not just of salvation, but the foundation of all of the journey with Christ. I, I am convinced that it is in many ways the heart of what it means to be Holy. Holy people are not people who say, I'm good enough that I don't need God anymore. Holy people are the ones who more than anyone else say, I can't do anything without God. And that openness is what allows the Spirit to fill them. It is the starting place for us. Jesus confronts us continually with the people in the Gospels. And in this passage we read earlier, Levi or Matthew is you know, tax collector is despised. And Jesus goes, comes along and says, hey, you come follow me. And he says, okay. And he goes and follows him. And he learns a little bit about Jesus. And so he throws a dinner party. And he invites all of his other despised tax collector friends. And other people that, the, that people would call sinners. And they're all eating with Jesus. And the Pharisees come along and pull aside Jesus' disciples and say, hey, why is your, why is your master eating with this scum? That's one of the translations. And Jesus overhears them and says, Look, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's the sick. I have come to help people who want help. And the Pharisees walk away because they don't think they need any help. And the tax collectors and the sinners walk away justified, restored, redeemed. Because they know they need help. That's the foundation of what it means to be wise. That mindset will go a long ways to keeping us from from doing foolish things. From acting and living in such a way and thinking in such a way that, that maybe people would think God doesn't really care. And of course that leads us to behavior because how we think always leads to how we act. And how we act is always rooted in how we think. And it means that we treat people the way God does, particularly the vulnerable, the weak, outcasts. Instead of manipulating them, we sacrifice for them. Instead of trying to use them for our own means, we give up our own rights for their good. And what people in our culture, as they did in that culture, would look at that and say, that's foolish. God says, that's wisdom. And see, that's one of the problems we encounter with all of this. Is that when you look around, and I think Israel would do the same thing. David did the same thing. When you look around, people who are foolish tend to be successful. I mean, here's David on the run, trying to keep himself alive with a few men with him, and he encounters Nabal, who's got thousands of animals and owns all this land and wealth beyond his imagination. And David must be looking at that and thinking, wait a second. The fool's successful. We find out as the story progresses that God sends a different message. But we live in a world in which so often people who live as if God doesn't exist, people who live as if God doesn't care do seem to be successful. They seem to have power, they seem to have influence, they seem to have the things that the way in which this world judges success, they seem to have it. And it's discouraging to be frank. Because we're trying to do what's right. We're trying to be wise. We're trying to live in a way that that reflects who God is. And it feels like they are successful and, and we're not. Look around the world. So many places of the world. We pray for the persecuted church every Sunday. And in many of those countries, all of those countries probably, if you were to judge who's successful and who's not, It would not be the Christians who are looked on as successful. And it's discouraging. And that's why David adds verses 5 and 6. As he says in verse 5, the day is coming when the God of justice will do what's right. The day is coming when those who have terrorized will be terrorized. The day is coming when those who devour will be devoured. And God will set everything right. Count on it. You may not see it. We may not see it in our lifetime. We may not get that kind of of, uh, redemption that we want from people. But that's not really our problem. God will do what is right. And we have to trust him. The other side of that is that David says in verse 6, Oh, if if only someone would come from Zion to restore God's people. And you might expect, as I think Israel might, that David's next words would be, And here I am. David's been anointed the king. David has been anointed the the one who's going God's chosen one. He's been anointed to be the rescuer of Israel. And here he is. But David doesn't say that. His next words are, when God restores his people. No one knows better than David that he doesn't have enough in himself to do this. And every time he thinks he does, it ends in disaster. It is God who restores and redeems. It is God who creates such an atmosphere of joyful flourishing. That is, people in the midst of times when it looks like the fools are winning can step back and see something different. In many ways, it is the message of the book of Revelation to the persecuted church. The word of John is the day is coming. Jesus has won, the day is coming. And David gives us a precursor of that. And the underlying message is, you may not see it, we may not experience it, but you can trust God that it's true. And that really is David's ultimate word in this psalm. Despite what things look like, despite the upside-down nature of the world, you can trust God. And to live your life in such a way that it reflects to people that you believe God exists and that God cares and that God is in control and that God is trustworthy is always the right, wise way to live. And in many ways, that's the message of this table. At this table, we come and acknowledge our sin, we acknowledge our need for God and it is a table of lamenting but it's also a table of celebration and joy because the one to whom we come is good and he's merciful he's trustworthy and so even as we come to this table we come saying, Lord, I need you and we come saying, Lord, thank you and we declare with our hearts that we believe God is who he says he is. So as you think about a circumstance, maybe in your life, maybe in the world at large, maybe it's a maybe it's a person, whatever it may be. Something that is discouraging you about this world. Something that is causing you to feel like, man, everything is upside down and I don't know where it's headed. Can we together, individually and corporately declare, we may not see the end, we may not understand it, but we believe that God is who he says he is. And we're going to live our lives declaring that is true. Holy Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that as we come to this table, we do acknowledge our need of you. And we come in finding your arms open wide to receive us and to redeem us and to restore us. So, Father, give us grace to live in such a way, to think in such a way, to treat others in such a way that declares we believe you are who you say you are. Father, pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup. May they be food to our souls and our hearts, our minds, every part of our being. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. It simply means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you would like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come to the front. I always like to mention that we practice open communion here at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you have ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God, with the desire to to live in a way that acknowledges God for who he is and come receive these gifts more gracious loving heavenly father